Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host. And today we have a special guest, Mr. Dorian Wilson of Nice Technology. They have spent the last two and a half years putting together a brand new sous vide circulator. I'll be right back with Dorian Wilson to discuss the Nice Wave sous vide circulator. Be right back. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter. Sous vide and chilling from fire and water. Hey all, this is Darren and I want to take a minute to talk to you about Masterclass. I just signed up for Masterclass and I can tell you what, it's well worth it. Masterclass is where you can learn how to cook from Gordon Ramsay. You can learn how to sous vide from Thomas Keller. You can learn how to make Texas barbecue from Aaron Franklin himself. All these classes are available on Masterclass plus many more. Masterclass has great video content, interactive assignments, social interaction with the Masterclass community, all for just one fee. You can either buy each individual class for $90 each, or you can sign up for the annual pass, which gives you access to all their classes for just $180. And that's what I signed up for. Check it out, guys. Masterclass has some of the best online training you can find. Check it out, guys, in the link below. Masterclass, amazing. Now on to the show. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host. And today we got a real special guest, Mr. Dorian Wilson. He is one of the developers of the Nice Wave, and he is from Nice Tech. They have a new sous vide circulator come out they've been working on for a little while. And Dorian, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Hey, yeah. So I'm uh, Dorian. I'm the chief marketing officer at NICE. I'm one of the co-founders. Um, I've been with it uh, since be- the beginning, since before the Kickstarter. Uh, and I'm really happy to be on with you today. So how, how did you uh, how did you guys start this? So, uh, in case people don't know, the NICE Wave is a, a brand new, just actually getting launched uh, this coming Monday uh, for retail, but it's been around. They've been developing this uh, sous vide circulator for the last couple of years. Uh, so how did you get involved in, in even thinking of starting a, a new sous vide circulator company from the ground up? Yeah. So uh, to, t- to tell the story, we have to go back um, about three years. Uh, so it's uh, the very beginning of 2017 at that point. Um, and sous vide is, is picking up, but back then less people knew about it than they do now. So then I would say, uh, sous vide to someone and they wouldn't really know what I was talking about. I would always have to explain it. Uh, now we've got, we've gotten a little further along on that one, but um, essentially one of my good friends uh, who I met through university, he went to China and it was when he went to China that he met up with our third co-founder named Grant. Um, Grant had been trying to create a sous vide circulator um, and he wanted to sell it in China because he thought that there would be a market in China for sous vide because uh, he had noticed it picking up in North America. Uh, so he'd been spending a lot of time developing this. And when my friend went to go work with him in China um, on like a scholarship, basically, um, he looked at its designs and he did some market research. And then he realized what we should really be doing is actually asking the customers what they want. Uh, so he scrapped basically what Grant was working on to sell a sous vide in China. And instead he started looking, um, to ask communities. And that was about when I got involved because he came back to North America. Um, 
And he started working on trying to figure out, okay, what is, is there a place for a new sous vide circulator? And if there was, what would that be? Um, and we turned to a lot of the Facebook groups, uh, a lot of the forums online, and we realized there was a lot that people were missing out on. And the way it was at that time was people were basically having to pick and choose from different circulators, certain key features, whether it be the power, whether it be the waterproofing, having buttons, and uh, also Wi-Fi control. Um, those things, they were kind of having to choose one or the other. Um, and that was what the community kept on saying. So he started working on that. They started doing some uh, some rough mock-ups, sketches, designs. Uh, and that was when I came on board. Um, and originally, I was just going to, I said, hey, I'll, I'll help out with the marketing where I can. Uh, but as I got pulled deeper and deeper into the project, uh, one day uh, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, so I guess we're all co-founders. I guess this is us, the three of us doing this. Um, and yeah, that's the, I guess that's the medium short version of it. Now, did any of you guys have culinary experience at all? Is it is it strictly you had uh, some kind of tech experience or where, where did your experience come? Um, from the food angle of it. The one who actually had the most culinary experience was actually Grant. Uh, so in China, he's he's fairly well known and he's actually uh, he's kind of got a affinity towards food. Um, so he's well known as being a foodie. He he actually is famous for having once taken a six hour flight for a bowl of noodles uh, from a certain restaurant that he uh, particularly likes. Um, so he is the one who kind of had originally the most background in food, the most knowledge, the most understanding of different uh, cooking techniques. But what's interesting is because he he works in uh, venture like venture capital in a hardware space, he kind of applies what he know knows about cooking and cooking techniques, and then he looks at what uh, factories are able to produce in China, and he thinks, how can we? uh incorporate cooking techniques into uh these like the capabilities of these factories like what they're able to make um so going from there uh things just kind of um progressed and progressed and we did our kickstarter and i guess i'm skipping ahead a bit but now we actually have a, a chef on board who's really cool he, his background is uh deeper than deeper than all of ours in cooking um, and he brings a really interesting um, perspective to all of our conversations. Now, when he was first, you know, kicking around the idea and, and getting you guys involved, what circulators was he kind of comparing it to? Is it mostly the commercial type, you know, like with uh, PolyScience and Backmaster, or was he looking at some of the, you know, uh, like Anova, the ones that were just getting out there, uh, Chef Steps and all that, that were still kind of probably, you know, pretty new back then as well. Yeah, so what we really did was like we went to the communities um, and and at least with Rainer, right? When, so when Rainer joined on and said to Grant, okay, like let's figure out what people really want, he looked at what we saw people were using the most. Uh, and then you would see things like um, the Innova, the Jewel. Um, those were kind of the, the major ones. And then there were a couple uh, lower end SUVs that were kind of coming in at the bottom. But uh, from looking at it, we saw that there was a pretty clear pattern where a lot of people were gravitating to the two big players, uh, and then they were having to decide um, whether they wanted something that was uh, like certified as water resistant or whether they wanted something with um, a, a screen and buttons, right, uh, and also Wi-Fi control. So we just realized that there was like a, a big gap, 
Um, so what we settled on with the nice wave was something that's 1200 watts, which is, uh, it exceeds what the other, those other, uh, um, players were, were, were producing. Um, but at the same time, it has a screen and buttons. So like, uh, there's one, I think, you know, which one doesn't have a screen and buttons. It only has app control. And then, um, to, to build on that, we were also saying, okay, we wanted it to still be compact. We didn't want it to be very large. So we kind of modeled that after one of the circulators that people seem to like for its compactness. And you end up with something that's powerful, screen and buttons, also water resistant, um, and with a, with a great app. Now, did you guys look at any of the commercial type? Because that, that's one of the things that surprises me about the uh, circulator industry. And I've had people on from, you know, VacMaster and PolyScience mm-hmm. who produce, you know, commercial type units. And, you know, they don't really compete much in the uh, overall consumer market. They, they strictly, you know, market to restaurants and, um, you know, the culinary industry. They don't mm-hmm. really... You know, even though they have them on Amazon, people can buy them, buy those type of units, but they don't, you know, put the Wi-Fi app on there. They don't, you know, their stuff is strictly, you know, for commercial use. It's built to to last a long yeah. time and run a lot of hours and have that power that you're talking about. And, um, you know, I've had a couple of guys, I'm like, why don't you really, you know, look and see what the consumers are because they're just like, well, that's just not our market. You know, people will buy those, you know, if they get really, really into it and they want to spend six, seven, eight hundred dollars uh, on a, a sous vide circulator mm-hmm. that doesn't have Wi-Fi. But it just surprises me that those guys who, you know, especially with PolyScience, who's one of the innovators, one of the first ones that actually started making these, um, su- you know, specifically for sous vide because they had theirs that was for lab equipment and um, mm-hmm. kind of started, you know, started actually putting these together. They really never focused on the consumer side. It was always on the, uh, you know, commercial types. Yeah, well, um, in business generally, like it, selling uh, to businesses and selling to consumers, uh, it, it, you're, you're playing different ball games. So I don't blame them necessarily for um, if, if that's what they, they're comfortable with, like selling to uh, businesses, selling to restaurants. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, a different, um, it's a different way of selling. And I, I can totally understand that. Like, uh, they might not have someone on their team who's necessarily uh, um, able to produce the Kickstarter and, and create a video that will inspire people to to want to um, buy it. And then it's a it's a it's a pretty uh, ruthless space, like the consumer um, the consumer space. So I I don't really fault them, but we definitely learned a lot from them. So there's a couple restaurants that are actually using um, our device. In, they're using it in like a commercial capacity. Um, because um, it's with 1200 watts, you can do a, a very large volume of water, um, and they they they've been actually cooking for like their entire restaurant, um, and they've swapped out an older commercial sous vide unit, one of the ones you had actually mentioned, um, and they started using our device uh, in its place. So we looked; we were most inspired by like their um, precision, like when we were developing our precision, we wanted. We wanted, we like that they have their roots in like lab equipment in commercial uh, applications where the precision is so, so, so important. With our engineering, we we did a lot of really interesting things with the device um, because we wouldn't allow uh, our software to really make any um, any kind of approximations. So we wanted it to truly be like that 0.1 degree precision. What we ended up actually doing was uh, 
the temperature probe, if, you, if you're looking on the bottom of the device, you'll actually see that the base plate has a little bit of a channel cut in it. And the, um, the temperature probe actually extends out about half a centimeter. Uh, there's feet on the device, so it doesn't extend out farther than the feet, but it just pokes out. Um, the actual reason for that is because uh, our engineers, by pushing them to be more and more precise, they figured out, well, here's something that other sous vide circulators are doing, which they probably shouldn't be, is that a lot of the time, the temperature probe is very close to the actual heating coil. What that does is it just means that the software um, internally has to kind of do that calculation. So it has to account for the fact that because the probe is so close to the heating coil, the reading is going to be off, and it's going to be off by around this much degrees too hot. Uh, so if I'm trying to predict what the water is, I need to subtract X degrees, right? But that can become a little bit imprecise. By extending our probe out further, it's closer to the water that's in the actual pot. In fact, the probe is actually poking right into the, the pot water, not the water beside the coil on the inside of the device. It's now getting an exterior reading. And what we're able to do is we make significantly less of an approximation that other CBs would need to make. And we can get very, very precise. So it's quite impressive. I had it in like a huge tub of water in China. Like I kept on uh, telling the people in the factory, like I want to test in a larger pot, a larger pot, a larger pot. They ended up wheeling something in. And I believe it was definitely over 20 liters, but I'm thinking it was around 30. I, I had a measurement at the time because to, to get the measurement, I actually had to I put a measuring tape in it. And I measure like um, height times width times depth. And I actually had to do like an equation to figure out how much water was in it. Um, it might have even been close to 40. I, I wish I had that information just on the top of my head. And it was really interesting. I was poking the, the we had like a thermopen and I, I was testing the water. And it's like, as long as it was fairly close to the device, it was, it was hitting the temperature right on. As I got a little further away, uh, the temperature was dropping by about half a degree. Um, it was just like a recycling kind of tub. So it wasn't, um, wasn't like thick or insulated. Um, but I was, I was very impressed with what they were able to achieve there. Yeah. And that's one of my biggest complaints I've tested out and looked at, you know, many different CV units, you know, especially a lot of the cheaper ones, because I would get a, you know, a Chinese company would contact me because of the YouTube channel or whatever. And mm -hmm. they would say, We're, we'll send you one to test out. And that, you know, I, and I test them out. That's one of the things I test out first is how correct, how accurate is the reading, you know, mm -hmm. compared to a thermopen or, you know, an instant read and then mm -hmm. how accurate it is, you know, outside of, you know, the right around the circulator is it actually mm -hmm. circulating the water enough to keep the, uh, most of the water at that temperature. And well, that's one of the things I found is some of these were just the, the, even just around the circulator, the temperature was off. And it was because of what you said is that the, you know, the reading it's getting is right next to the, you know, the heater itself. And a lot of them didn't have the correct algorithm to <laughs> try to figure it out. And they just left it the way it was. And I had some of them, they were actually, you know, three, four five degrees different. Mm -hmm. you know, just out in the water, just outside of where the circulator was. And, um, you know, it was kind of ridiculous. They're, they're selling, the, they're selling these things. They're just trying to get as many of them out. And if you look on Amazon, I mean, there's a, there's, you know, 10 new ones a day and they all have different names, but they all come from, you know, the same factories and the same design. So, mm -hmm. um, they're not really, you know, like the, you guys. they have different names, but they have the exact, you can see the right. plastic pieces. You're just, and we've dealt with, um, 
all of these kind of ideas. Uh, so like, for example, with our device, if we want to make it in a second color, right, we know what that costs. Like you, you're going to have to pay uh, for the new, uh, like, like they have to mix the new color and then they have to do a certain batch and they're going to have to get it right. And then you can produce a batch in that color, but it obviously has to be of a certain size of the batch. Uh, so sometimes they'll be at a design that a factory is already making um, and people will just produce it with like different colored pieces, right? So they'll make the minimum order for that. But then they'll sell it as though it's its own, um, its own brand. And I mean, that's fine. It's just um, from looking at the community and looking at what people wanted, maybe we would have taken that route if one of those sous vides fit that need. Or you know what? If one of those sous vides fit that need, maybe we wouldn't have even pursued this any further because we would have said that, you know, there's solutions that exist right now which make us not necessary. I think it was really because we saw none of those were waterproof. 1200 watts compact uh and the screen and buttons like when you when you add all those features on like you you're in a class of about one maybe now that i know anova has their now anova pro um which i think i think that would actually fit all of those um but it's also i believe over 300 dollars if not 400 dollars. so that's a bit um over what we were thinking would be necessary to charge for something like that yeah i have an anova pro and it, it's it's still you know um it, it's all metal so i mean it's built more for to compete with the poly science and the mm. backmaster you know the the commercial type the guys that are using it in a restaurant but um you know it it is a little bit heavier duty but um it's still not as compact i mean it's it's bigger than the their regular precision in the nano especially um so there are some, it, it does now start working with the, their uh, app. It didn't initially work with their app and now they've got it working with the app. And, uh, but you know, yeah, but like you said, the, the cost of it is a lot more because it is geared more towards the commercial customer, which I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad that they did that. I guess I was, you know, I was talking about before, you know, at, at least Anova is trying to get into that space on the commercial side. Yeah. Well, I like what the, they've done too. Um, uh, in Europe. So the pro in Europe, um, because of the 220 volts, it actually is like a 1800 watt unit. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's something we would be interested uh, to explore that the fact that because they're limited by the 110 volts, like I'm assuming that's why um, they're not exceeding 1200 watts in the US. And I know there's actually also a law uh, that you're not supposed to um, you and obviously, I'm not the engineer on the team. But um you can't exceed 1200 watts uh, for an extended period of time on an appliance. So it could, it could use it for a short period of time, but I guess sous vides are classified as running for an extended period of time. So that's why nothing can really go over 1200. So the 1200 bars is hard to beat unless you're actually, I believe upgrading to the style of plugs that are used on like, um, you know, uh, some ovens and uh, dryers, like they have that massive bulky uh, plug. Uh, right, unless yeah. you're using something like that, you can't run uh, anything over 1200. But I like what they well, did in, in the UK where I believe it's like 1800, which I think is pretty cool if they're still doing that. 
I think the uh, uh, the Vacmasters run at like uh, thirteen or fourteen hundred. I think I think yeah, they're thirteen or fourteen hundred watts. For what they say anyway. So I don't mm-hmm. know what they actually run at, but that's what they're listed at. But I did a comparison between the Innova Pro and one of the Vacmaster, you know, that were actually actually one hundred and fifty dollars more than the the Innova Pro, mm-hmm. and the Innova Pro actually heated up faster, you know. Uh, testing it with an instant read, not, not going by the algorithm that's on the unit itself. But, you know, uh, so it, it, what that showed me is that, you know, sometimes it's not all about the Watts because, you know, it depends no, on where, sure. the, the, where those Watts are going. Really cool. mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, what's cool is like when, like depending how efficient an appliance is, uh, like usually the cause of the loss of efficiency is heat. So like, for example, uh, when my computer is like being inefficient, it's giving off heat. And that's kind of where the energy is going that's that's being wasted or like a light bulb, right? Uh, you're getting light, but it's also it's losing energy as heat. What's cool is like with something like a sous vide, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be transmitting all of that energy into heat one way or another, but if it's not circulating well, and that's why we, our pump, we actually spent time, we were calibrating it. Uh, so if you look dead on, if you look really closely, you'll notice that it doesn't point straight ahead. The pump is actually angled. So like that angle is like calibrated, uh, the direction of the water flow. And it's based on what will send the water out, bringing it around the pot and then bringing it back under the device. Um, and that alone was a couple of weeks of uh, like planning and, and redoing and redoing. Um, and I think that that is also really important. So yeah, your device might be high wattage, but if it's not circulating the water well, that heat isn't going to disperse as quickly through the water. The overall design too is a good is a you know, really important as well. And like you said, that's one of the things you guys really considered was the overall design of the unit as far as usability. And that's one of the things I found with some of these other units is that the way they designed the shape of the unit is like ridiculous. You know, some of them are like square. And some of them are bulky, even like the Vacmaster that's, you know, selling for four or $500. I know it's a commercial unit, but the thing, you know, it weighs like five pounds and it's like the oddest, weirdest shape in the world that you have to get a custom lid made for it, that it, it looks nothing yeah. like any of the other, you know, it's like, it, and it's a- really, it, it's a, it's a really deterrent to a lot of people just you know, yeah, it may be a better unit, but it looks, yeah. it's so oddball shaped. And it's if, you, big uh, and it's- if you look at ours, it's, it's uh, really, sm- like, it's really small. Like it's similar to a jewelish size. Um, um, and that's one way where it's like, when we can, when we look at the pro, it's like ours does take up a lot less space. So like personally in my kitchen, like uh, that would, especially with where I'm staying in Europe right now, uh, <laughs> spaces here are a lot smaller. Uh, so it's, it would, I can really see now why size does matter and having a smaller one could actually have its benefits. Like the, the compactness originally, it was one of our features and everyone wanted it. I didn't really see why though. It's something I've kind of really come to understand in the last uh, even month of, of being here. Well, it's even when you're trying to cook in a, in a smaller container, like I, I did a test on them, you know, in a, just a 12 quart container you know so just a smaller container but if you have a big unit that's taken up you know 20 percent of the space in the container 
and then you got one that's only taking up 5% of that space, you can put, put more food in there or, or larger items, you know? So yeah. I'm glad you guys thought of that. That's one of the, you know, things is that actual, how the thing looks and, and how it works with the unit of the, the, you know, containers that it's going to be using. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Like our, our silicone sleeve is kind of cool. So it's like the unit's designed to have a silicone sleeve and you can actually switch out the color if you want to. Um, but that it's got like a little bit of squish to it, obviously not much, maybe about a mm, half a millimeter of give when you, when you grab it. And it's, it's useful because um, when the device is hot, uh, it seems like the silicone cools down faster. Um, you can grab it, pick it up and it's not like, it's not quite as much of a heat transfer to your hand. So it's like, feels like you're not burning yourself as badly. Um, Cause I know you probably know how they can get quite hot. It's also grippy. Oh, yeah. But also with the lid, so we've been experimenting with container lids. And if you get the size right, um, and we're actually going to be like working um, with uh, some third parties, we're going to be producing a, a container with a lid. It can it can get a really tight, snug fit because of that silicone sleeve, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's important, especially, if, you know, when you're, I do a lot of longer cooks. I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there, especially newbies that, you know, just think you can do, you know, steaks and chicken breast mm-hmm. and that's the primarily, you know, what they use it for. But I do a lot, especially with the barbecue side, I'll do a lot of just longer cooks of, you know, 48, 36, you know, 36, 48, 72 hours. Yeah, what's, the, what's the longest cook you've done? Um, probably 72 hours. You know, I, I, since I've been doing it, I've, I've found out, you know, there's some of the longer t- uh, times you don't really have to go if you adjust, you know, since it is a precision cooking method, mm-hmm. you can adjust your temperature two or three degrees and then it'll knock your time down some. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, some things I started out doing, you know, 48 hours or 72 hours, I was, I've been able to knock back like a 48 hour to a 36 just by adjusting, you know, the temperature, you know, one or two degrees, not, not anything crazy, you know, so, and still get a really good, you know, uh, result so how long do you do uh if you're making like a chuck steak uh so we have one in our app it's 24 hours chuck steaks or chuck roast chuck roast is you know one of my favorites as well uh because you know i just did one for uh i think i did it for 28 hours at 136 and it still came out pretty close to medium rare mm. you know because it's on the higher end of medium rare but what 136 is quite yeah that's quite high but what happens is on something that's like a chuck roast or even a ribeye steak it has so much uh fat and connective tissue in it still even though mm-hmm. most, most it's you know it allows you to have that fat render more and it still it doesn't yeah, it doesn't, it, it, yeah and it doesn't overcook so i mean i i don't cook you know my ribeyes at 131 I, I cook them at 134 to 136 um just because of that and i've never you know prime rib nobody ever says you know it's not done it's too done i mean because you yeah i just did yeah. i just literally just did a, a chuck roast and you know my, my sister was up she's never had one cooked cv and she goes you know wow what is this Cause, you know i didn't tell her what it was <laughs> you know and i did that at 28 hours at 136 and you know she was just amazed that that it was yeah. that it was chuck so I, roast, you know. I think, and you can tell me if you agree with this. I think one of the per, prevailing like misunderstandings that people will carry over from more traditional methods to when they try sous vide is um, they've really grown to think that 
they want it as rare as possible, for example. Uh, so it's like when you're in a restaurant and you're ordering it rare, um, it's because you you want the inside uh, to have like that certain texture that you associate as being rare because it, you, you're scared that if you say anything more than that, uh, you're going to be uh, trying to eat the steak and it'll be like just like basically like medium well. But what I've noticed is... Um, with sous vide, if you're if you if you set it to the temperature, people will tell you as rare, so maybe like one twenty nine, right? It's not actually; it doesn't need to be that rare. It's like when you're going to cut through it at that point, you can feel your knife is almost catching on the connective tissue. It's not it's not uh, tenderized enough at that point. Um, and actually, if you put it up a couple degrees, you'll actually like it better. So it's not that you need it to always be super rare, like what you would think when you're used to more traditional cooking, no, like 133, 134, you're getting that ease to cut through it that you want. Um, and it's, it's perfectly red. It's got lots of flavor in it. Um, and it doesn't need to be like that 129 that you might think. Did you kind of, do you see what I mean? Well, it's mostly too about being juicy because people will always associate it. The longer it's cooked or the higher temperature, yeah. the more done it is, you know, the, the drier it is. So that's what they'll say, you know, especially mm-hmm. the, you know, the well done people. Oh, that thing is like shoe leather because it's all dried out and tough. Yeah. But, you know, that's what I try to tell people since you are, you know, cooking it sous eating it you're cooking you it, don't at, need a, it to be super rare you're, to get you're at a precision temperature so you, you you get away from that whole trying to hit you know throw a uh, dart at a moving target you know you you, you can cook you know, it to exactly exactly way to the way it. you want to cook it you know and and it's going to come out juicy because you're it didn't overcook it didn't you know you're not cooking it with air you're not cooking it at a hot, hot, lot higher temperature to try to hit that yeah. mark and then it goes over. You're, yeah. So that's, that's what I'll, I've explained it so many times <laughs> to older people who are used to uh, traditional cooking. And a lot of times people will think that they really like it rare, but then you cook them something medium rare and CV and they'll go, wow, this is just, you know, so much better than I would have thought <laughs> because it is like they get that juiciness factor. And that's, that's what it is. Cause they they just think yeah. you know if it's anything you know higher than than medium rare it's going to be not juicy and that's why I can cook especially on those fattier cuts you know I mean I, even with like mm-hmm. beef ribs and brisket I like to cook those medium to medium rare which you can't do on a smoker or a braising you know you got to cook it pretty much over two hundred degrees internal for it to be tender. But with sous vide, you can take those tougher cuts and make them medium rare and so much juicier. But there is on those tougher cuts more, you know, connective tissue and and harder fat that you want you you want it to render, oh, yeah. and you still got to get you still got to go just a little bit hotter than you would at like a you know like a fillet or something because um, you know so that yeah. one thirty four to one thirty six is perfect for the fattier cuts and still get a really good medium rare. Uh, uh, done this on it so when uh when we first came to germany um my uh so our our chef on the team he was actually teaching us how to how to do it just with a pan no sous vide necessary um because we wanted to kind of get a bit of a grasp for that and see how close we could get uh to a sous vide result and it i've definitely gotten better like i can't recreate what i can do with the sous vide i've gotten closer but still no um but i was gonna say i so I got uh, like a dry aged steak and I was, so I did it in the pan. I did it really hot with oil first then lower the heat way down. Um, 
like get rid of the oil. Then you add like the butter in, the garlic, uh, the rosemary, and then you start basting it. And unfortunately, it just like, I guess it was the size of it or the temperature setting on this specific cook cooktop. And it's a nice dried steak, but it was just, it was just that much too dry. Like it was just too medium to the point where I feel like when it loses the juice, you lose some of that flavor, if you know what I mean. Like I wouldn't have even known it was dry aged if it was well done, if, if you kind of right. get what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. And you'll, you, and like I said, that's, that's to me, that's the biggest thing I try to explain to people is it's not, it's not like a George Foreman grill or an Instapot. It's a total method. And it's such a precision cooking method that there's a lot more uh, variables to it that you can mess around with. It's not, you know, I get people in the Facebook group, especially new people come in and go, just tell me what, you know, what time and temp for, you know, this, you know, it's like, you know, what well, mm-hmm. you know, the best way to tell you is here's a range, you know, of, you know, times and temps for what the doneness you want. And then you go experiment with those mm-hmm. times and temps to figure out how you like it the best, because that's the beauty of sous vide cooking is you can, yeah. you know, play around with it and play around with the times and temps and, and just see, you know, it's good to have guidelines. You know, that's why I like, I like, you know, with Jason Logsdon, he, a lot of his, you know, times and temps, it's a range, you know, for medium rare, here is a range, yeah. you know, and then you can play around with it to see which mm-hmm. range you like, you know, so it may not be 131 for three hours for you. It may be 134 for two and a half hours, you know, and that, that makes it perfect for you. Mm-hmm. But that's the beauty to sous vide for me. So, all right, well, let's take a little break right now and then uh, we'll come back on the other side and we'll get down deep into the Kickstarter and, and what makes the nice wave, the nice wave so much better than some of the others that are on the market right mm-hmm. now. All right. I'll be right back with uh, Doreen Wilson from nice wave, nice tech. Hey all, I want to introduce you to a company I just started working with fresh Jack's organic spices out of Jacksonville, Florida. They're a small family run company that's fast growing I've tried a bunch of their different seasoning blends and spices, and I can tell you they are all fresh, all organic. None of them contain artificial flavors or sweeteners. None of them have anti-caking agents or preservatives. They all taste like they were just made for you yesterday. Check them out, guys. They're on Amazon in the link below. They have different sample packs, different blends. Like I said, they also have the individual seasonings and spices as well. Fresh Jack's organic spices. Check them out, guys. I love them. All right, so let's uh, let's get down into the nitty gritty here and talk about um, this new product you guys are launching. It's been uh, an up uphill battle, you know, for a couple of years now, and I think um, we had kind of talked about this offline. And I, I really appreciate it when people take the time to make sure things are done right before they you know release a product for sure. Let's talk about how this thing uh, started you know, back two and a half years ago with the Kickstarter campaign and what you guys went through. Yeah. So uh, I guess we left off when we were talking about how we came up with a spec list of everything we wanted uh, in the device. Um, so then we set to work actually building a prototype. That was fairly difficult. It took longer than expected. Um, and we we ultimately came out with one. So we did the Kickstarter uh, video. We uh, did all of like the the graphics and everything for the page and we launched it and it did a lot better than we actually were projecting that we thought it would. Like we were, we would have been very happy if we hit like a hundred thousand in sales, 
So we ended up like tripling that. We hit 300,000. Our goal was only 30. Uh, so we did quite well with that. Um, but then came the task of, okay, now you actually have to make the 2,500 of these. Um, and something about manufacturing that I think maybe people don't uh, always realize is that um, going from the prototype to then just mass producing it, um, there's a lot of steps in between uh, where you're actually, it's called DFM. Uh, so it's designed for manufacturing. So basically you have to redesign your prototype um, and keep redesigning it so it can actually be mass produced. So basically like say for example, okay, your engineer used one component in here when he made the prototype. We can't source that on a mass scale. So we have to replace that. Oh, by replacing that, now this is compromised. Oh, so you're going to have to change the shell. So it's like it becomes this iterative process of figuring out how to rebuild this prototype out of pieces which they can actually source on a mass scale. And whether they can or can't source, it usually depends on who you're working with. So it's hard to get a lot of that done prior to actually kind of figuring out who you're going to build it with. Um, so getting into that process, then they're going to want to create small batches of units, right? So they'll say, okay, we'll make uh, 100 units and then uh, we'll measure the failure rate on them and uh, we'll throw them out. But we're still going to charge you for those 100 units. So when you have a Kickstarter, though, you're, you're supposed to be using that money to get up and running and then also deliver units to people. But we don't want to deliver those 100 units, which they're saying, like, oh, yeah, they might break. Like, we don't know, right? So it became a very tricky game of um, we ended up definitely spending more. So we, we were spending our days. It's like we'd be replying to Kickstarter comments where people are asking, uh, oh, what, where's my wave? Like, what's the delay? And we're trying to make an update and make a communication about, like, why this is happening. But all evening, we're, we're calling people saying, hey, do you want to make an investment? Would you be interested in making an investment? And people are, they basically would always say no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, prior to the Kickstarter, they'd usually be saying, oh, make a Kickstarter, we'll consider investing. After the Kickstarter, it becomes, okay, uh, let's see you deliver. Let's see you get some retail sales, and, and then we'll consider it. So it was a it was a very tight situation for sure. Like we we basically made a decision pretty early on that we wouldn't uh, pay anyone on the team, um, just because we we did some research and we found when most Kickstarters fail, it, it's because they ran out of money. And one of the first places we realized we could cut would be, uh, okay, well, what what are we taking out of it, right? Uh, so we cut that down, and that helped a lot. And that's to be honest, that's probably why we're we're still here today, and why we. Why we're now getting ready to launch on Amazon, and we have a inventory in Amazon ready to go. So uh, I think it uh, it worked out for the best for sure. But it was definitely um, it was definitely a stressful time. I'll, I'll definitely say well, that. yeah. And I don't think a lot of people understand. You know, like you were saying, you're you're developing something from scratch, and it's and then yeah. especially with a sous vide unit, it's something that um, you know it's there's a lot to it. More, it's not just you know, taking something off the shelf and then sticking your name on it. Like a lot of people do without, you know, on Alibaba, you can go on Alibaba and pretty much take an off the shelf one and just stick your name on it and, and start marketing it. You just order. No. Yeah, you can. And so they've already done all the DFM, right? They've already done the design for manufacturer, which is why they'll just sell you and they just say, okay, buy a minimum number of units and we'll sell it to you. And if you, if you spend a little more, they'll even uh, let you change the color. Right, because uh, they they can factor in the cost to 
to mix uh it's just like a, some compounds uh some like um, resins that they're mixing together and then they're injection molding them if you're willing to make a big enough order they'll change the color and then you can you can easily say oh this is a whole new brand this is actually a different yeah. sous vide um <laughs> and i've I, i've seen people uh they'll buy like multiple sous vides and some of them it's like you can tell it's the same sous vide it's just uh a different brand and if they were buying it to get a variety and see which one they like better um personally like my opinion would be like other than the color i'm not sure what else is different yeah. on them right. you know you know what i mean right just because i understand kind of how it's yeah. working on the, and a lot of times you'll end. see that like with the uh you know the celebrity chef you know <laughs> branded stuff like you know emerald lagasse which i, I love mm-hmm. emerald lagasse but he sticks his name on just about anything anymore and it's not something he designed it's something that they're like hey emerald we're gonna put your name on this and you know here here's a check and he's like yeah okay no problem he doesn't look at the design he doesn't look at the features you know it's just you know it and it's not he's not the only one i mean i've seen you know Curtis, whatever yeah. his name is, and you know Guy Fieri. I mean, they all stick their names on stuff and don't really care uh, about the quality or, or anything like that. They just just uh, you know market it, and and it's just like you said, it's the same. You can go on Alibaba and and see that same sous vide, and if you want to invest, you know, eight grand to <laughs> buy buy a, a half of a pallet full of them, you can do whatever you want with it, and and, and there yeah. you go. But to sit there and 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 take so, something and re totally redesign it and start from scratch. I mean, it, it's uh, a, a lot harder and there's a lot more to it. So, so yeah. So one of my darkest days for sure was we, I had mentioned that they'll like to make, they like to make a hundred and then they'll test them out. And then uh, uh, they automatically will get thrown away. They'll like, they'll make a hundred and basically rigorously test them. We didn't have the money for that. So instead we were like, okay, make, 900 right and we'll use it we'll, we'll ship them out to uh like our first group of backers so they, they were working on that they made 300 um because that was the only way we could afford to do it um they made 300 of them we shipped them and we shipped some to ourselves too we shipped 10 to ourselves when we opened them and we started actually using them we realized like they would like make a grinding noise and then they would stop working and we're like well that's not good and we did oh, we also didn't like the cosmetic look of them. Uh, like there were some problems there as well. Um, like we, we we were calling Grant and we're like, hey, like we don't think like the finish looks like it's complete on them. Um, so we're like, pull it, pull it, like stop, stop producing them. Uh, so what we did was we, the ones we had already made, we sent them out to some of our backers. We asked, would you like to be an alpha tester instead? So we've, we've already had to pay for these. So we're like, let's at least get some use out of them. People tested them. And uh, they loved a lot of stuff about them. They're like, oh, it's it's really great in this way, in this way, in this way. Um, it, I love how small it is. I, I love how quiet it is. But then it would always be, oh, but today it, it didn't work anymore. <laughs> uh, so we we ended up then like taking everything we learned from that batch, right? And that batch normally in a normal manufacturing situation, you would have customers would have never seen it. They would have never touched that first batch. It, the the practices that you you test those and you throw them away. We had to we had to send them because we had no choice, um, and it was it was pretty depressing at one point because um, we're trying to figure out okay so now we have to come up with the money for like additional units right it's like where can we cut where can we cut like we can't cut our salaries anymore. Uh, luckily at that point we found a couple people like um, just local people who are willing to chip in a little money uh, as a small investment, um, and that got us to the point where we were able to ship everything and. With the next batch, the failure rate was insanely lower. 
And then with the batch right now, it's uh, we're actually beating like industry standards um, in in failure rate. So there's an industry standard of what you would expect for a appliance to fail, and we're we're below that. So we're really yeah. Happy. Even uh, even Jewel and uh, Innova have failures. I mean, I bought two uh, Innovas myself. Um, not the current models, but the the one before it. And, you know, the Wi-Fi units, and I bought one and uh failed and i sent that back and got another one and that failed so i know it's not just uh you know everybody has them especially when you're dealing with overseas manufacturers and all that and and these type of sensitive electronics and stuff you're always going to have there's got to be a room for error in this kind of stuff but, you know I'll, I'll tell you though i think we take it to heart a lot more i think because we did the campaign so it's like when we hear stories about that, like even one failing, it, uh, it, we feel like, like it's like a little bit emotional. Like you, 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 you kind of feel that feel like you've let someone down, right? So it really pushes you to get it right. And I'll give you a great example. So a lot of our competitors, um, a couple of them also have apps. I'm sure as you know, a lot of people have trouble connecting uh, the device to the app. Um, because the chipset, the common Wi-Fi chipset set used in these kind of appliances, it can get muddled up by um, 5 gigahertz band of people's Wi-Fi. So say their 2.4 gigahertz is turned off, or say for some reason their router is just pr- uh, preferring to use the 5 gigahertz band, um, the devices can't talk to it very easily. And because most are dual band, it's usually not a problem. But uh, you'll see on some of our uh, competitors' pages, they have a disclaimer, like, just so you know, um, like, unless you have, like, a dual band and it's set up correctly, it, don't buy this. It's not going to work. Well, our CTO was, like, looking into it, um, and we were get, he would get complaints, like, oh, I had a problem connecting. And these were the complaints that all the companies will see, right? But he's like, hold on. So he, ha- he has a background. Uh, he actually worked at Facebook um, in Seattle. Uh, he left Facebook and joined our company shortly thereafter before um, me and the chef joined. Uh, so it's so right around the same time. So that 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 kind of rounded out our, our full team. Uh, and not to bore you with the technical aspects of it, but basically our CTO figured out, his name's Brendan, and he was like, hold on, there's a way to work around this. And what he ended up doing was he created a way where he figured out a lot of the time when these devices aren't connecting, um, the people, it's not actually the fault of the device. They do have a 2.4 gigahertz band, but for some reason, the device just isn't recognizing it. And I think I can get around this. So what he ended up doing was he actually set up a mode. So we have a second mode when you're trying to connect. If the first one doesn't work, it'll prompt you. And the device itself becomes its own personal hotspot, gives off its own wireless network, you then connect to your device's wireless network. It uses that to transmit the password information that it, it couldn't get before. Then it turns off its own wireless network and it properly reconnects to your own home network. So it's like, it, it's only because I think we take these things so personally that when he heard about the fact that people were having this problem, instead of just being like, oh, well, I guess that's just a problem. He was like, how can I fix this, you know? Yeah, and um, I know that that issue is, is big with the people that buy the, the Google, um, you know, whole home internet, you know, router things because it it won't let you rename it. It, it it's only names the one um, network, and it, it combines, like you said, the, the 5G and the, and the 2.4. Uh, so you're like, you can't 
like a, my normal router, it's got two bands and they're separate and I can tell it to use the, you know, yeah. the, the slower one, but on the Google one, I mean, that's where I, I see a lot of people have it. It's only one network. So these, you know, type of, uh, and it's on grills too, these new pellet grills and, and, uh, you yeah. know, the, uh, temperature controllers of that hook up even to the charcoal grills they all use the you know the lower band and they you know they can't work if there's not a separate separate name yeah. same for that network you know and so. sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it so it's just for some reason although you have a dual band you have a 2.4 and a 5 gigahertz for some reason the device um like the router isn't transmitting the 2.4 um like as a lead it's just like maybe it maybe just patches it in every so often and it's really relying more on the 5G. Um, but it can still it could still connect if the device could just get the login information, right? And that's where this this interesting method, which we he calls direct mode, is where the device actually creates its own Wi-Fi network. It's like that's an interesting workaround, but I don't think many other companies would have necessarily come out with it. But for us, it's like you get those complaints rolling in and maybe at another company, there's someone who answers those, but here that's us. Right. So when I was saying it could get depressing, like during the darkest days of trying to get through and get it developed, it's, it's because like you, you can't hide, you know what I mean? If, if you're having trouble and the funniest part is like, these are normal parts of manufacturing. So now that we're a little older and a little wiser, if we were to do this again, if, if I was talking to someone through it and they're like, Oh no, like units are failing. I would say, yeah, the first hundred, they you usually have a lot of fails. That's how DFM right. works. You, you're figuring out what works and what doesn't, right? Um, no one was there to really say that to us necessarily, so um, it, it was really it was really difficult. But to be at the point we're at now, and like when we when we read the positive comments we're getting now, um, it, they're honestly they feel that much better. Um, people are saying, "Oh, I'm retiring all my other sous vide circulators." Uh, this one works better. Um, and that's what we're working on with the app too. Like we want to, we have some big plans with the app that we've been working on recently. Um, and we think we can make it into an app that's not just like the best app to control a sous vide, but we really think that uh, it can be the best app for the kitchen in general. Um, helping more people become so much better in the kitchen. Now I want to talk about that too, because when you guys first put this, uh, you know, that launched the Kickstarter, there were some things that you kind of had uh, used as the marketing for it, like the adaptive temperature system and, mm -hmm. and some of the ice packs. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So that you yeah. don't have that stuff right now, um, even though you're, you're doing uh, a retail yeah. launch. So how is that stuff um, coming along? So with the retail launch, um, we'll be able to cash flow. So we'll have money coming in. Um, and that really frees us up and uh, we're going to be bringing on a second developer. So for the adaptive temperature system, it's so cool. Like I could talk about that for hours itself. Um, we have all the data already, actually. So we have the database. We've built it out completely. Um, it's really just about um, connecting that back end code to the front end of the app. Um, but what it allows you to do is it takes into account the specific attributes of the way that the protein in that specific meal will denature over time. Uh, so whether it's a chuck or whether it's a strip loin or a chicken breast, and it can actually figure out um, because uh, the, the um, break, like the, the breakdown of the texture is influenced um, by the temperature the device is set to. 
uh, we can actually modulate that over a four hour period. And instead of keeping it at a flat temperature of like, say, for example, it's 165, right? We can actually drop your chicken breast down for a holding period in the middle of the cooking cycle to a lower temperature. Um, and that chicken breast will retain much more of the texture than it would have if it was just at that 165 for four hours, right? So by doing that with an algorithm, it just, it, instead of the user having to, okay, hold on, my chicken breast has been cooking and I, based on the weight and everything, uh, it's been cooking for an hour, so now it's reached temperature. Now I'm going to drop it down. Uh, okay, now I'm going to bring it back up uh, because I'm about ready to eat. It, it just takes care of all of that on the back end. Uh, and when it's dropping into a safe holding zone, it's still a safe cooking temperature. It's just like, um, it's just uh, below um, what the doneness you like is, if, if you kind of understand what yeah, I'm and I, I and I especially can see that on the longer cooks or something like where you um, are starting it um, in the morning, you know, and it should be an eight hour cook, which would put you yeah. getting at home. And then something happens, you get stuck in traffic and you really don't want it to go 10 hours because it's something that where you really it, don't it, want it to get mushy. Hours, yeah. So you can yeah. delay it and it'll, it won't turn off the sous vide because that would ruin your food, obviously, because you cannot let it get uh, too too low and it can't get into those danger zones um but there's a lot of room to to do some meaningful meaningful improvement um where say you're say say someone like you and you're cooking your rib steak and it's 136 right it drops it down to 128 127 something like that um and don't quote me on these exact numbers because i'm i don't have the database open in front of me but it's almost within a safe cooking temperature it's just let's say 129 um it uh you're you're saving about what uh that's eight degrees uh that that can actually make a meaningful difference over an extra hour that you're uh delayed on the interstate yeah. now does it is it going to be doing that automatically or is that something you have to set it up for no so it would be something you would turn on um and actually when you turn it on uh it'll it'll alert you that so you know this is in beta it's not perfect right. but we did a really massive experiment where we went over to um, uh, one of our co-founders' houses, Rainer's house, and he made 50 steaks. And by the end of it, like I feel like my mouth inside of it, I just I could just taste the the beef still in my mouth. <laughs> but um, and it was we all uh, across the board preferred the the delayed one. So basically, he would do one where he would just cook it for six hours, and he would do another one where he would do the ATS. So he would do it for six hours as well. Same doneness or like same target, like sort of like same temperature, but he would lower it down in the middle and he'd be like, which one has a better texture? And you could tell like the one that went for too long starts to lose that correct texture. Um, but the one where it was dipped down preserved um, an impressive amount. So we're excited to roll that out. It's just um, when you're rolling out anything like any kind of app, it's you got to do it in sprints. you got to do it in sections uh, and if we had have done the ATS first and not had have had recipes at all, people might have been even more angry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's uh, we've only had a couple people ask, "Hey, where, when's that coming? Where is it going to be?" Versus like something they were more concerned about was they wanted recipes. So we we have over a hundred recipes in the app now, which is something we're really um, really proud with. Um, and users are actually going to be able to upload recipes pretty soon. Um, but we've got a couple influencers, like people who are really uh, like thought leaders in the sous vide space who um, 
already working with them to get some of their recipes in. Maybe you can, uh, maybe this can be my pitch to you that you can let me pull one of, one of your recipes. Oh, in definitely. There. I've got a couple out there and, you know, in the, uh, sous vide summit, uh, cookbook out there too. So I'm not, a uh, opposed to doing some recipes for you guys. Now, what about the nice packs? Now that's something where you could, um, you guys send out like some sauces and, and it, it kind of has, it gets really interesting. So, um, basically we're, we're looking at all of our options, but essentially we want the app to itself um, benefit people. Uh, and we're looking at the different areas where people could use a little bit of extra help. Um, and typically the ways you can actually help people, they don't usually involve selling them things. Uh, so like we've been doing more and more research. And to be honest, like people would seem to think that they would benefit a lot more um, from learning pathways where you're, you, it's not just a chain of recipes, but I'm not sure if, if we have any video gamers who are listening, but um, it's kind of like when you're playing through a video game on story mode. So you'll have missions that you're doing. So imagine that like the recipes you're cooking, then you also have little cut scenes, which uh, in our case would actually be like little miniature lessons, which might pertain to something you're going to, going to be doing in that recipe. Uh, So maybe they've never sweated onions before. They don't really know what that means. Um, a, A short little lesson that kind of pertains to that. And then if, if you're going through the learning pathway, and maybe it's a British food learning pathway. So that's the name of it, right? It's like, it's like the British kitchen. You're going through it. The final meal you cook might be a beef wellington. You could consider that like, once again, if you're like playing Mario or something, that's like battling Bowser. That's the big boss. But along the way, we've been teaching you re- through recipes, um, little techniques that will contribute to it. So you've already had to... Uh, dice up and use mushrooms uh, in like a meat pie recipe or maybe in the meat pie recipe was where you actually learned how to um, create like a pastry uh, pastry crust, right? So we're, we're easing people into it. And that seems to be something that people are really, really interested in. And then our recipe steps, people want to, um, in general, be more social in the app. And we've kind of noticed that. So we're going to be adding the ability to leave comments on recipe steps. So you can actually... Maybe I cooked it and I would really prefer 1.5 tablespoons of vanilla. Um, and I think other people might benefit from that information. Instead of just commenting on the recipe itself, you can actually comment on that step. Be like, hey, here this is what I would do um, if you're interested. And then the third way you can do it, though, and this brings it back to the nice packs, is if, um, if people are having trouble sourcing certain sauces or certain spices... Um, You can work with some of like the best spice suppliers or the best sauce suppliers. Um, And the good thing about spices and sauces is they last much longer, right? So you don't want to be dealing with stuff where it's got a tight expiry date. Um, So maybe maybe that's something we add too. Um, It's always something we're open to. We've been talking to food distributors. Um, The thing is with something like that, right? We don't want to, we're not experts at mixing spices and prepackaging spices. So that's something where we would be much... um, happier working with someone where that's their expertise. Um, But if it's helping people and it's an option for them, uh, that's something we're interested to do. Really like, same with the device itself, like designing it based on what the community wanted. I think that's how we're really looking at the app as well. So it's like, if people would prefer to learn than to buy spices, we're going to put our our, um, time into teaching them. I I kind of agree with that. I I agree 100% that um, that way... And even maybe having, you know, some more options on the app than others have. Like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with faux aging. It's actually, actually using it faux, faux aging where you actually, when you're cooking, especially on the beef on, on steak, 
where you can actually uh, put it in at a lower temperature for you know two or three hours. Let's say I, I just did it with some top steaks where it, uh, you put it in at mm-hmm. 113 degrees for two hours. And, and what it does, it kicks in the enzymes that are normally in wet aging and dry aging that tenderize the meat and, and give it a little bit of different flavor. And you do that within the safe you know time i know you're going to be in the you know danger zone but there's still there's also a time and and temp factor in in the danger zone there you can still it can still be in the cv that at a temperature like 113 for two hours because you got a time before the bacteria really starts to grow so what people do is you know they they actually put it in at a lower temperature for a couple hours and it kicks in the enzymes that normally would be in the wet aging or dry aging of beef and it accelerates them to a point where then you crank the heat up to you know the 131 or whatever you're cooking it at and it and it it I would say it, it's more similar to wet aging, you know, beef. Which, so that's what that does. That's what, you know, so that's, you know, maybe a feature you guys could add and incorporate it and, uh, into your ATS type system is that, hey, if you want to faux age your steak, you know, it'll automatically, you know, run it at 113 or whatever degrees for this amount of time, and then it'll kick it up to whatever you want. So that's just a thought. And I mean, I, like I said, that's some of the things that sous vide can do. No, I, I, uh, I agree. And I also think even commenting on recipe steps. So even maybe if it's not a unique app feature, there's hundreds of people with interesting inputs, right? So if people could comment on the, on certain steps or something like, I can't wait to see the ribeye recipe, right? And then it, comes to the searing step and it's uh explaining like okay you can add like garlic uh in with the butter when you baste it and i want to see what people suggest because i i've seen some really cool um really cool uh suggestions um and and like i said that's the the great thing about sous vide it's such a you know you can do so many things with it and it's so much more than just cooking a steak or cooking a chicken breast perfect there's so many things and variables and mm-hmm. that's why I, I know that's that's the fun part to me it's it's not just and that's where i see where if you have something like you know your adaptive temperature system or other things that to me that's the fun part is playing around and, and adjusting and making stuff so i can see where that uh, can be a really good thing so all right so so you're rolling yeah, out you're rolling out sure. the retail on on Amazon on Monday is there uh, anything you want to talk about on that cuz we're going to get wrapped up here soon For sure so uh it's going to be uh going public on Amazon uh on Monday so if anyone's interested in checking it out checking out the page um uh you can just search nice uh nice wave uh so we spell nice I'll have a link in the uh, description below too so we'll uh We'll make sure that people can cool. get access to hooking up to it. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, I think um, the other thing you should keep in mind is um, we're always here for you. So um, if you have any questions, concerns, anything about the device, uh, I, I reply to people uh, personally a lot of the time on this kind of stuff. So uh, one of us is going to be here for you if you if you have any questions. Um, uh, we've we had someone purchase our uh, device on the Kickstarter, and we found out later that they uh, were visually impaired that couldn't they couldn't see. I wrote an email, and it was about two pages long, explaining like how to find every button. So I was like, okay, start with your finger here. You'll be able to find this one. So if if you guys have any questions or anything like that, we're we're here for you. Um, for sure. It's something we care about a lot. And I think that's important to let people know is that you guys are continually uh, working on developing the product. It's it's not 
you know, you may be rolling out the physical um, circulator right now, but you're going to be adding things to it and uh, especially to the app and, and some of these other functions and abilities yeah. for it down the road that they're going to, they're going to be able to uh, be the a app is of. cool. Cause we got the inspiration from like how Tesla cars work is where they can beam out a firmware update to the cars and it'll actually change how the car handles. So we made the firmware on our device flashable, which means um, over time, if for any reason we wanted to improve, like maybe we found a way we could improve the heat time a little, maybe we find a way uh, that we can actually um, improve like the water circulation. Surprisingly, there's, there's ways you can actually flash the firmware out and all the devices suddenly they have that improvement uh, on them. Uh, so that's something we made sure to do uh, so we can keep even the device as, as much as we can, we can keep improving that once you, even once you already have it. So you, your initial rollout is going to be on Amazon. Are you going to have your own website yeah. as well and look for other retail outlets? Yeah. The, so the website, uh, the Amazon is first and then the website is going to be coming in a little bit. Um, the Amazon is obviously good because we want, um, we want kind of people to discover us and find us. And if they're already on Amazon, maybe looking at sous vides, uh, we want to, we want them to see that we're there as well. Yeah, that's that's pretty much a must-have anymore. Um, all righty, Dorian, I, I appreciate you being on, and um, I will post up uh, in the description below so people can find uh, the nice wave and and check it out. And I look forward to uh, uh, checking it yeah. out myself and dealing with you guys in the future. And uh, anything else you want to talk about? No, I was going to say that's that's amazing. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's been fun to chat. I want to try doing. Um, a rib steak at 136. Maybe you can send me your 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 recommendations sure. uh, after okay. after the podcast. Um, but no, overall, I'm I'm super happy, and I'm just really excited to get it launched. Yeah, I bet. Um, are you also? Let's talk about the sous vide summit. You guys, I know I, I kind of hooked you up with uh, Jason and Mike. Are you guys looking at uh, possibly participating in the sous vide summit in August? Um, well, I can neither confirm nor deny. I uh, I feel like if people <laughs> go there, there's a most likely a very high chance they'll see us there. Yes. Ah, uh, great. <laughs> All righty. I look, I look forward to it and uh, maybe seeing you out there and um, thanks again for being on. I appreciate it. Cool. Amazing. Okay. Take care. Um, and right, everyone you. else too. Take care. All righty. Thank you. Well, thanks again for joining us guys. I want to thank Dorian Wilson from nice tech for being on talking about the nice wave new sous vide circulator. You can find a link to the Amazon link for the product below and also link to their website and check out uh, Masterclass. Make sure you also check out Fresh Jack's seasonings. Thanks again. and I'll see you again on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast.